Bart Ehrman is an author and an atheist. Interestingly enough, he's an atheist that teaches Bible classes at the University of North Carolina. He was a believer at one point. He even went to Wheaton where Billy Graham had gone. But Bart Ehrman ended up going to Princeton, met a liberal professor, took on his views that the Bible's a myth. He also wrestled with why is there evil in the world. And now he's, uh, again, oddly enough, a Bible teacher, though he's an atheist. He says the reason he continues to teach is he finds the Bible to be a piece of literature worthy of study. What he's also known for, though, is challenging students that come to his class. How many believe in God, believe in the Bible? Most raise their hands. At the end of the semester, he'll ask the same question, and now most do not raise their hands. It's not uncommon then for parents to call and say, listen, my child went to college a believer, and one semester later, they're an atheist. What is going on? Interestingly enough, Dan Wallace debated Bart Ehrman and said, Ehrman merely exchanged one form of fundamentalism for another. You know, it's true for each of us, we have something that has become that belief system that we hold on to, and whether it's true or not, people continue to, to hold that belief, even in the face of evidence. Something Tim Keller said is worth just thinking about. He says the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's the same thing we find the apostles stating they were arrested for it and beaten for it because they proclaimed and knew and lived that Christ is risen and because he is risen and we know eternity is in his hands, and we shall rise as well. And that's our faith, and that's why we trust the words that he spoke, recorded in Scripture, are the truth. We're going to see there's a very different life, though, live not just spiritually, but medically for those who believe and those who have a fundamental belief that God does not exist. Let me show you a study here. Dr. Jerome Stahl did this. It's absolutely fascinating. They wanted to know what happens at the point of death in a person's thinking. So they wanted to ask people, you know, that were days away from dying, would you participate in an experiment at this research hospital? They were going to hook them up to a machine that would read the brain waves. And if there were strong brain waves, it would read those and they would have this scale. They said they could rate how strong the brain waves were up to 500 points. And he said to understand what 500 points is on this machine, they played a radio station and measured the kilowatts, and it registered nine points. So they went through and had people come through that you know, were angry, upset, mad at family members, unforgiving, and they had a small reading on this machine that was reading the brain waves. And then one day they brought in this lady, and she's a believer. And let me just read what he said happened as they were reading her brain waves. As the last moments of this woman's life arrived, she began to pray and praise God. She asked the Lord to be merciful to people who had despitefully used her. She reaffirmed her faith in God, telling him she knew he was the only power. She praised him and thanked him for his power. She told him how much she loved him. We scientists had been so engrossed with this woman's prayer, we had forgotten our experiment. We looked at each other and saw tears streaming down our scientific faces. Then we checked our instruments. Remember, the radio message had registered a nine. When we read her brain waves, the needle registered 500. We had recorded this woman in prayer, and the machine was registering 55 times the power used by a 50-kilowatt broadcasting station. Fascinating. Whole different world when we walk in the truth, live that truth, and know that truth. 
Psalm 91.14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. The key there is, do we really love God? Everybody says they believe in God, but is he really our heart's desire? Is he that supreme one in our life? Can we truly say, I love Jesus, and therefore I know the promise, because I love him, he will rescue me. That's what this woman understands. That's what Bart Ehrman has abandoned. But let me share something about a gentleman named Dr. Hubert Lindsay, known as Holy Hubert. He had a passionate love for Christ. This is back in the 60s. He went to Berkeley, California. Berkeley, the campus, always been liberal, always been known for, you know, protests, sometimes riots. In the 60s, they were having these violent protests. They were opposed to politics, the Vietnam War, and they attracted all sorts of unsavory characters to the campus, including the Manson family, drug addicts, and gang members. And Hubert Lindsay, Holy Hubert, was an outdoor preacher who went to campus, and he would walk right up to these thousands of protesters, grab the microphone, and begin to preach. Now, he was beaten up over a hundred times the first year, but he kept going back. This is the time the Beatles made their famous song, and Hubert was known to say to the students, Do you want a revolution? You don't need a revolution on the outside. You need one on the inside. And the greatest revolution you will ever have is when Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, comes into your hearts. Countless lives were changed by this man who said, Yes, I love Jesus above all things. Manford George said, faith is significant only when it promotes action. Faith without action is useless. This is the basic principle for everything true in every case. You know, James agrees in chapter two, faith without works is dead. Our life needs to be one where we can say, I love him and I know his promises and I speak those promises. He's supreme in my life. And what I believe is consistent with my behavior, my obedience to him. Nathan Tanner said, you cannot live right and think wrong any more than you can plant weeds and harvest grain. Our thinking and our actions have to be in alignment. That's why James said in chapter one, a person who is not in alignment in their thinking and actions, he says that is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We want to be single-minded, Christ supreme, living our faith, our words and our actions aligned with his word, our obedience to him being complete. Something wise from John White, he said, tough times either make you or break you. If you are not utterly crushed by them, you will be enlarged by them. Everybody's facing some real challenges now, not just individually, but in communities, in the country, other countries. These tough times, they can enlarge us. We can expand our giving, expand our love, and expand our serving, expand our faith, expand our praying. But only when we can say in our hearts, yes, I love Jesus. Something interesting takes place in Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, the 12 tribes of Israel are listed by name. You find these same 12 tribes here in the last book. You find them in the first book in Genesis. There's a difference here we'll come back to, though. In Revelation... Something interesting happens in chapter 7. The tribes, the 12 tribes, they're listed because of a revival, one that is coming. But they're not listed in chronological order like they are in the rest of the Bible. There's also one tribe that has been replaced. Keep that in mind, and we'll come back to why that is in a moment. We remember the words, Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies come to an end. They are new every morning. And here's where the words of that hymn come from. Great is your faithfulness. And that faithfulness is why we can say, let my faith arise. Let me enlarge even during this difficult time. There's a fascinating story about Thomas Edison and second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, what we call the record player, incandescent light bulb, movies, a thousand other things. And in December 1914, he had been working 10 years on a storage battery, and this had drained his finances. Perry Green writes this, one particular evening, fire broke out in his film rooms. In minutes, all the compound celluloid for records and film and flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense, their efforts were futile. Everything was destroyed. The damage exceeded $2 million. His insurance was 200000 because they believed the concrete was fireproof. The inventor's son, Charles, searched for his father frantically. He finally found him watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection. Charles would write, my heart ached for him. He was 67 and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? I said, I don't know. He said, find her. Bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. All our mistakes can be erased in a moment of surrender to him. No matter how far we've gone from his calling, we can simply turn around and walk into the promise of redemption, forgiveness, and a new life in him and proclaim, because I love him, I know that he will protect me. Bill Johnson often says, when the impossible seems logical, you know your mind is renewed. When you can look at situations and say, I know that God can handle that then you've got a different type of thinking. A different type of thinking that sees and perceives completely at odds with the rest of the herd mentality. There's a fascinating lesson of prayer and expanding beliefs from George Washington Carver, former slave who popularized growing peanuts in the South. Challenge was, as he would share, so many people then began to grow peanuts that they became almost worthless. And he was heartbroken because these farmers, they were coming to him and they were weeping and broken. And they said, we trusted you. We began to grow this crop and now it's worthless. We're losing everything. And one particular night, one man's weeping and brokenness left George Washington Carver broken. And he would write about that moment. He was alone in his lab, walked outside of the woods. He began to pray and he said, dear creator, show me why you created the universe. I sensed an answer. Your little mind asked too much. Ask something more your size. What is the purpose of man? I prayed. Once more, I sensed you are still asking too much. Interesting lesson. Sometimes there are things that are beyond us that, that you know, we need to be maybe focusing on something more the size of our faith and maybe it's something right next door or right in our own family to begin to work on as God enlarges us to take on something bigger 
it was after that that George Washington Carver then famously prayed, why did you make the peanuts? And he received, you know, this answer in his heart. Now that's a question you can handle. And then Carver spent the next six days, you know, he had this just energy after that prayer. Six days, six nights, nonstop in his lab, discovered over 300 uses for the peanut. He found it could be used for things like cooking oil, soap, ink, candy, ice cream, animal feed, dye, a milk substitute for medicine. And this prayer and this answered prayer and his then diligence, you know, saved the economy in the South. Next part in Psalm 91, 14 says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. And then notice, I will protect him for he knows my name. I will protect him for he knows my name. We've talked often about the name of God. Ask most people, what is God's name? And they will say God. That is a title. So is Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But what is God's name? 7,000 times in the Old Testament, it is written. But most people ask them, they would not know. In English translations, many of them just put Lord for kind of superstitious reasons. But he says, if you know my name, we have a different relationship. If you just know my title, that's one thing. But you know my name, you know my name, I know your name. That's a different relationship. But notice something that's said about the name of God. And that name of God, as we talked, you know, it's, it's Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, but most believe pronounced Yahweh. But listen to what is said about that name. A couple verses. Jeremiah 23 speaks about a time. He says, there will be prophets who lie and try to make my people forget my name. Interesting. Have we forgotten the name? Many don't know the name. Isaiah 52, 5 to 6 says, All day long my name is blasphemed, but my people will know my name. Speaking about a time that will come to a change. A fallen, broken, sin-drenched people forget the name of God. When his redemption flows, they begin to know him intimately and they know his name. This is not detract at all from Philippians that tells us God has given him a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Or Luke 11, when Jesus said, when you pray, say, my father, hallowed be your name. That is all true. But it's important that underneath, we can stop and say, listen, I understand the personal name of God. And my life is in Jesus' hand. Who is the way, the truth, the life, God in the flesh. Even when we sing the songs and we sing things like hallelujah. Halle means praise. Yah is praise Yahweh. Jesus, his name in Hebrew is Yahshua. Yahweh saves. So again, there's a different relationship. And he says, I will protect him for he knows my name. We have that better, stronger relationship. You know, George Ritchie says it well. Do you want to affiliate with the Christ in people or the adversary in people? Do we want to look at people and from the living in our center in Christ, see the potential in their life for Christ to redeem them? Or do we want to see them as an enemy and only see how Satan is working in their life? Going back to the example we talked a few moments ago when you saw that peace and love of that woman moments from death. Versus the brokenness and anger of others. Remember, it was the power of prayer and praise that almost broke that machine reading her brain waves. There's a whole different life and love. 
We give you an amazing example of that from World War II that George Ritchie shares about. He helped to liberate a, a concentration camp at the end of World War II. He said he was shocked. You know, he'd seen people die, but the concentration camp, they were walking skeletons, starving to death. One man stood out and they named him, nicknamed him Wild Bill Cody because he had a, a mustache like the famous Westerner. He said it was obvious he was new to the camp, hadn't been there long because he was healthy, vibrant, smiling, full of energy. In fact, he helped us process paperwork on all the, the POWs getting released, you know, and help us process the medical paperwork as well, 15 hours a day and energy to spare. George Ritchie said there was a tremendous contrast. This man had peace and joy. They came to him for counseling. The other prisoners, they were so filled with rage and anger, some grabbed guns and ran off towards town to take revenge. And while Bill would try to calm down these angry people that wanted to just take out their hate, and George Ritchie said the big shock was he got the paperwork to process Bill Cody out, and he said he found at that moment he had actually been there six years. He wanted to know, how can you be here six years like these other men? They're starving skeletons. You're on that same starvation diet, but you're vibrant, filled with energy, joyful. He's going to sit down with Wild Bill Cody and ask. And he's about to learn. George Ritchie writes, we sat down for coffee. I said, it's not easy for them to forgive. So many of them have lost family members. Wild Bill finally spoke. We lived in Warsaw, my wife, two daughters, and our three little boys. When German soldiers reached our street, they lined everyone up against a wall and opened fire with machine guns. I begged them to allow me to die with my family, but because I spoke German, they put me in a work group. I had to decide right then whether to let myself hate. It was an easy decision, really. I was a lawyer. I had seen what hate can do to people's minds and bodies. Hate had just killed the six people who mattered most to me in the world. I decided then that I would spend the rest of my life loving every person I came in contact with. Hate, more than starvation, had destroyed these other men's lives. His love and faith had preserved Wild Bill, so he looked vibrant and young. The psalmist declares, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he knows my name. As someone once said, unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. So let's close with the 12 names of the tribes in Revelation chapter 7. Again, they're the same names almost as what's listed in Genesis, except Manasseh replaces Dan. It's believed that Dan has fallen into idolatry. The other strange thing about Revelation 7 is the names are not listed chronologically, which is how they're always listed. I learned this from Bill Salas. Another, a number of commentaries have written about this. One more of those signposts, God trying to show who he is to the world so that we know Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. When we understand the meaning of the names, it comes into focus a whole lot more. As we close here this morning, Judah means praise the Lord. Reuben means he has looked on my affliction. Gad 
Good fortune comes, Asher, happy and blessed am I. Naphtali means wrestling. Manasseh means made me forget my sorrow. Simeon means God hears me. Levi means joined me. Issachar means rewarded me. Zebulun exalted me. Joseph adding to me and Benjamin, the son of his right hand. You don't have to remember all that. I'll put it all together as we close here this morning in one sentence. The names, what they mean, what they reflect. You put the meaning of the names together, it says this. Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction. Good fortune comes. Happy and blessed am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, rewarded me, and exalted me by adding to me the son of his right hand. In countless ways, the message is there unfolding for us to simply believe and receive and proclaim, I love him, therefore knowing that he will protect us and we live in faith in him. And when the impossible seems logical, you know your mind has been renewed.